Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where roughly every other week we come to you with uh, the Gundam Universal Century in more or less chronological order. This week we are coming to you with the final uh, compilation of our manga coverage of the, the Gundam side stories. Um, this is episode 26, which hits us at right at a year. Uh, and we're wrapping up our one year war right at a year. So there's a little bit of irony in there. So today we're going to cover the mobile suit Gundam side story, Space to the End of a Flash, Kido Sensei Gundam, Gaiden, Sora, Senko, something, 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 also known as Thoroughbred, also known as Gundam Rebellion, Thoroughbred, whatever, Space to the End of the Flash. We have today Scotty. Can we just go with weird dogs instead of thoroughbred? And we have Luke. I got to be be honest. I did not think it was only a year. It felt like so much longer. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It feels like it's been, I don't know, a, a, a universally long century <laughs> of having to do this right after I did it. But you didn't do all of all of these manga, did you? No. You did most of them, right? No. This was to keep my sanity during this. <laughs> hey, because no hey, spoilers. I really don't want to rewatch Zeta. <laughs> I, I don't dislike it. I just I just I just don't want to. Dreading the rewatch. I am yeah, uh, the amount of dread. It's kind of like when you put something off and then you know, it's actually really not that bad once you start, but I have that, that dread. That, yeah. That, that gravity pull. My soul is being weighed down by its gravity. Are you, uh, <laughs> are you feeling that way about double Zeta as well? Or just Zeta? Less about double Zeta because I've only watched through it in full once. Zeta I've watched through in full like four times. Well, hopefully and they're all a trudge for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can we can mix in some of the the side story manga for that like uh, Advance of Zeta and a few of the other ones that are out there and uh, make it a little bit less monotonous at the same time and that, that is what I heard Scotty say was I want to extend this as much as possible. <laughs> hey, he said he said he was dreading the rewatch, not the not the manga that he hasn't read before. That's true. I don't know. I thought this podcast would last a year. <laughs> or everyone would get burnt out after six months. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so let's talk about um, Thoroughbred. So this is another one of the um, the ones driven or drawn by Masato Natsumoto. Um, it takes place uh, shortly after Jaburo, before Abawaku um uh during slash after solomon for the most part um but i guess if we want to co cover this chronologically we got to actually jump back to um something scotty brought us up to attention with was um the gundam legacy chapters seven and eight and it's really kind of where you get an introduction to um mostly the the characters in the the federation but there's also Zeon characters. Um, we can talk about Captain Mullet later, <laughs> but let's talk about. Uh, so, um, I guess we'll kind of jump a little bit back and forth because you kind of have to understand where these guys came from before you know where they go. So, Chapter Seven of Gundam Legacy uh, takes place in in Jaburo right before at, and at the beginning of the Battle of Jaburo, um, but we meet our two main pilots, which are um, uh, Ford and, was it Luke? I, I want to say loose, but I feel like in Japanese that couldn't be right. I pronounced it loose in my head the entire time. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's call him loose, loosey-goosey. Um, well, it's L-U-C-E is how it was translated. So Yeah. So we, we, we basically meet, like, the main characters. This is kind of like an introduction, like to everybody in, in the manga before the manga actually like ha happens and in another manga. Um, but the big thing here is basically like the, they're building these new uh, Gundam models. It's uh, MS-78, five and six. 
Um, and these four, four and five. I'm sorry, four and five. And um, these are high mobility type spacesuits. Um, they're not really designed for Earth combat uh, or gravity based combat, which kind of affects the 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 way that it's um, written down the line when they get on the moon and things like that. Um, but yeah, so we just kind of meet meet these guys and find out that they're together on Jaburo. Um, yeah, so this is this picks up if you were to stop reading Lost War Chronicles right when that exits scene at Jaburo, that's where Gundam Legacy Chapter Seven is. Okay, it's, it is it's right there um, because you see Annie who was with that uh, Delta Squad. Uh, reporting for duty and you see when the third is taking off um like they show i shouldn't have said when they leave jabro it's when the delta squad engages at jabro mm -hmm. that's when the thoroughbred is launching okay so the, those uh parallel one another they or i guess technically this is where those intersect yeah and that's why this was Kind of a neat find. I didn't mean to find this. I just was looking for something else today while somewhat prepping for this. I prepped a little. And uh, I guess this was published much later, but to me, it. I kind of wish I had known before. I would have read this before starting it because it bridged the gap for me nicely between uh, Lost War Chronicles and Thoroughbred. This, this yeah. is almost like the chapter zero of Lost War Chronicles in a way. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a good fit. I did the same thing as you, Scotty, where I read it out of order. Um, I think I think Lane, you did the same thing. Yep. Um, so it it would have been nice, but I also didn't really feel like when I picked up um, Thoroughbred from the beginning that I was really missing a whole lot. But it was nice to kind of get yeah. that story. Yeah, and I think the other thing we haven't mentioned is that uh, Thoroughbred is based on a video game, which a lot of these are. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll have more of that, but this is one of the I guess you could call it Roots in Encounters in Space, which is a PlayStation 2 game. Yep. Yep. So I mean, Chapter 8 of Legacy is basically the, the same equivalent for introducing the Xeon people uh, from the show. Uh, mostly, again, um, Captain Mullet. Um, not a big fan Ooh, of him. Just a note. Mallet Sanguine. <laughs> That that's his real name. I don't really need to say anymore. <laughs> um, He's your token, edgy Zeon villain. Just yeah, evil and angry and violent. He's he is. Um, I'm blanking out his fucking name. He is the shit heel version of EO Fleming. Uh, hey. EO Fleming's already kind of a shit heel. Yeah, he, is, he has a worse EO Fleming. That's, that's fair. Except no jazz, unfortunately. That was the only redeeming quality. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's the Xeon version of EO Fleming. I do say this fully enjoying EO Fleming as a main character. I I didn't enjoy Captain Mullet that much. He's I, very two dimensional. Yeah, I didn't think it one dimensional. Was to really establish him as a, as like a sympathetic or like redeemable character at all. He was just like an evil plot point. <laughs> He's just a douchebag that had an act, Saku. Yeah. Yep. The whole thing, he kind of just feels like they went, we need a villain for this video game for you to go shoot at and blow up. <laughs> so we're going to just make this whatever. It's a video game, you know, and they made that one thing we didn't mention. Uh, speaking of video games in chapter seven, they do uh, meet, I forgot his name already, but it's Woody. The pilot. Not well. They okay. There is a cameo from Woody. Yep, can't forget good old Woody. <laughs> Jabro, um, but the pilot of the Mudrock, the RX seventy eight six, and oh yeah, yeah, the Mudrock um, protecting the thoroughbred as it takes off. And if you read the whole of Legacy, which Legacy actually even includes a sequel to this work that's set closer to Zeta, um, but uh, if you read the whole of it, you kind of see why he bothers to do that intertwining. Um, but then the other cool part of that, if you know the PS2 games that came out around that era, is the Mudrock was, uh, in this case, I think technically a villain since you played as the Xeon forces, but I don't remember if there's a Federation route. Um, but in Xeonic Front, the Mudrock was uh, one of the uh, Gundam suits that you fight. And I have to say, I played that game, 
but it was in high school. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember much of anything about it anymore. Hmm. I think most of the Gundam games did not age very well and were not very good in the first place. It, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I finished it. I know I played it a good bit, uh, but it was not. It, it was. They were all difficult, usually for reasons of things like. Journey to Jaburo is one of the hardest games on PS2, in my opinion, because it's extremely difficult to actually control anything. Yeah. But I think that's like a universal thing with, with the Gundam games is like the control mechanics are pretty terrible. There was one game that I played when I was in Japan, like 2005, 2006. It was in the arcade and it was really fun, but I had no idea what I was doing whenever I was playing the game. It felt like it felt like a button smashing game more or less, but it was really pretty. It was in Japan. It probably wasn't that. <laughs> oh, no. There were people that could kick my ass in the game, for sure. But... <laughs> um, so, I feel like they could just take Armored Core and put a Gundam shell over it, and it would be such a good game. Yeah. They just just, just rip off Zone of the Enders control scheme. <laughs> that would be fun, but I would... I like the masochism, the Gran Turismo-esque masochism of Armored Core. That's a good way to put that. <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's jump into the meat of this this uh, uh, manga. So it's it's arranged very similarly to the last few that we've been talking about. Um, they do it in operations, but uh, I feel like the the way it's organized is a little bit less uh, operationy than like Lost War Chronicles or anything like that because some of the operations kind of flow into each other and they're not really like Operation 1 isn't like a battle and then like Operation 2 is not like a few days later in another battle. This is more like your typical manga. Um, they just call each chapter an operation. Um, yeah, so uh, with Chapter 1, we kind of are introduced... Uh, to the thoroughbred, which is the 16th autonomous unit. Uh, and thoroughbred is a white base like uh, ship um, that has Pegasus class. Pegasus class ship that has two Gundam units, the uh, RX 78-4 and RX 78-5. Um, we talked about their pilots already. Um, we meet Miyu Takizawa, who is kind of their. Um, it's your CIC. It's yeah. your bridge bunny, it's yeah. or in the case of this manga, you can't quite call her a fan service character because they never really go into that territory. But if yeah. they did, that's why she's there. She is their operator and like their cheerleader in a way. Um, she's the person that's there to like always like um, tell them now, now don't go do this, and then they can go do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, to me, uh, Miyu is there because he went. Oh, I'm just gonna keep drawing Noel. Wait. I can't do that in the story. Okay, <laughs> here's a different one. And they also introduce Annie, who is their mechanic, but doesn't that really not play an, it. It's not an introduction. That's a recurring character. Yeah. She was yeah. in Lost War Chronicles. Yeah. So she's there. She doesn't really play a major part in this manga, but like she exists for... It's a cameo. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Ford is our hotshot younger pilot. Um, Luce is our old vet test pilot, but we kind of learned that they've gone through the, um, ringer together for the most part over the past few years. And we get more backstory for, um, Luce, uh, a little bit later as well. Um, but basically their, their mission is to go and perform recon on Granada, um, to support the attack on the Xeon homeland that's getting, um, organized at this point. Um, I don't think they've started doing anything with Solomon or Abawaku yet, but um, they know like things are in in the works because they know they've got to do a handful of attacks. Um, and Xeon currently has Granada and um, well, ostensibly they have the whole moon, but Granada is kind of like the Xeonic um, main base there. Um, so we also kind of learned that they're, they're a stealth unit, 
Um, they don't really have a lot of support. They're kind of thin on things. So they're not really designed to go out and fight. So they have the two, the two mobile suits, but they also have like two smaller ships that I think accompany them at this point. Yeah, they got some gun cannons. Yeah. Yeah, they never, the gun cannons never really seem to do a whole lot. They were always just kind of floating around there. But look, those are our allies that are fighting with us. Yeah, they're they're there too to make sure <laughs> they provide like lane fire, like keep it, your keep your your corners protected. Yeah. I, I feel like this manga story is more so than some of the ones that we have read. This is this is really about the Gundams more, <laughs> I think, than almost anything else. Uh, this is you got your unit four and five, and it. The story really just like the parallels in it. A lot of the beats are there so that you are more familiar with these suits and their capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And um, I mean, they're still developing the capabilities. And I think that's part of the thing that they like to show with this is that like these aren't finished. This, this war is still like going and they're scaling up. And even with the Xeon stuff, we, we kind of see um, that, they, that, that they are introducing the act Zaku, which really takes more precedence and is kind of like a mainstream Zaku and like uh, Zeta. But this is kind of where they introduce that model. I think you're thinking of the Hizak, but yeah, it is sort of a predecessor to uh, something like the Hizak, but it's just a, it, it's a lot like the magnetic coating that the RX-78 gets in the later parts of the series. Yeah. That's basically what your act Zaku is. Yeah, it's that slow burn of the stuff in Payzoon. When we went through that whole list of stuff, uh, it, it does have appearances here and there. Yeah. So um, they engage in their first battle in space at the end of uh, Operation One, and we see some uh, what I thought initially, and and I, I made sure to take note of this, especially for you, Scotty. Um, <laughs> Hey, listen, listen. You tell me every single time that I miss out on the character development. <laughs> and um, Miu tells Ford to come back alive. And I thought when I was reading this and I was taking notes for the first time that this was the development of their love story. Um, and I very quickly wrote, see, Scotty, I pay attention. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't even turn out to be like that. So I was kind of disappointed in the end. Yeah, I'm going to find my stickers. <laughs> um, yeah, so we move into Operation 2. Um, and basically, this is kind of... They continue, the character development for this it continues to be, and it will always be. Ford is super aggressive, um, and uh, Luce had to cover for um, Ford. Well, in, until we get later in that manga, but that's neither here nor there. Um and so, yeah, the Miu and the captain are both pissed at Ford and tell him, hey, stop being a hotshot asshole. But he's like, I get the best scores in a video game. Um, <laughs> I've actually called it a game a couple times. Like, you know, it's a combat simulator, right? And he's like, yeah, whatever. He's like, I get the highest score. And they mentioned that in the chapter seven and eight in Legacy as well, which I thought was kind of funny. He was pissed off that he was like tying somebody in a score. Um, yeah, so we, again, talking about the, the mobile suits, we see that they've got a Gatling gun that Forge unit can use, um, but the uh, beam launcher is still kind of being developed at this point. It's not quite there, and nobody's really comfortable with it being used yet. Um, they call it a hyper-mega-launcher. Is that what they call it? It's something like that. It's I, I, I just wrote Beam Launcher a handful of times. So I, they might have called it out by the full name when in the first time they mentioned it. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I know they were... It, it's one of those names like that. It's Hyper Super Mega Particle Cannon. It's a BFG. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's like so powerful, it doesn't need a name. Well, and it, it's consistent with um, a lot of the... Like if you look at the stuff from Thunderbolt, um, yeah. or or even late Mobile Suit Gundam, where like they sit there and they charge and they charge and charge, and then like they let out this huge beam that just yeah. rips apart like an entire fleet. That's what this gun is. It's not yeah. just like a beam cannon. It, it is, is a hyper mega wide beam cannon. No, it is a mega beam launcher. 
I'm sorry. My yeah. bad. I would say Amro needed to get his hands on literally any weapon introduced after the original series. Literally anyone. <laughs> um, so we we get introduced in Operation 2 to uh, uh, Captain Mallet Sanguine, also known as Captain Mullet, because he does have a mullet in, when he's first introduced. He doesn't get the cool hair hairdo until um, later. I I think they regretted like drawing him with a mullet. This is your other connection to Lost War Chronicles because you're introduced to them through uh, you see May and Jake. They had taken off uh, at the end of that in that HLV and they are arriving uh, to the moon. Mm -hmm. And so with them making it to safety more or less, that's how you're introduced to the new characters. Yep. And he's a dick to him. Yep. Um, so we get to see another engagement between the two um, sides. Uh, Ford wants to take out all the ships with his Gatling gun. He loves this Gatling gun. Um, but again, he's too aggressive. People are telling him to back off. Um, but of course, Ford, the hotshot pilot, does not back off. Um, and y- you get like weird... The only thing I thought was like really weird is every once in a while they'll end a chapter with basically something along the lines of like, and we were drunk with the power of the Gundam. <laughs> drunk with power. I, I'd like to feel that sometime. <laughs> but one of the things, like, I feel like I'm selling this short because I, I, I do like this manga is like, there's a lot of like, these chapters are like 30 to 40 pages long, but there's a lot of like combat in here. Um, there's not a ton of there, there's story, but there's not a ton of like interesting story. Um, it moves but, fast. Yeah, yeah. But the the combat's actually pretty good throughout this entire thing. You get to see like really well drawn fighting scenes. Yeah, if you if you want one of these side story mangas that is very heavy on just space mobile suit action, I think this is one that has. A whole ton of that, and it's enjoyable to read too. It's, yes. I, I, there, there were some of them that we've read that I, I kind of had to push myself through a little bit, um, but this one I really actually was like, "Oh, this is uh, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool." Um, aside from Captain Mullet, but you know, he he sucks. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so we we move on to Operation Three and. Um, Commander Mullet's unit is being sent to deal with the Thoroughbred um, unit so that they can back up Solomon and Bawaku. Um And this is also where we see uh, the background on Luce and Ford. Basically, they were brought up together um, at Augusta as training pilots, test pilots, um, and simulators. And then after their initial training, they were separated until... Um, I guess right during Jaburo. Um the manga says after Jaburo, um, but I think it just meant more along the lines of after the Battle of Jaburo they launched. Um if we kind of retcon things back. So like they fought on Earth separately for a while, um, and then Luce and Ford and even Mew get back together um and launch with the thoroughbred. Um yeah, so they encounter the Xeon forces, which are larger than expected. Um, uh, they basically say, all right, let's use the, the beam cannon uh, or the beam launcher, the mega particle beam cannon launcher, hyper version three. Um, but they can get a shot off, probably. Um, and they do get a shot off. So Luce blows it out, um, and Captain Mullet survives in his act, Zaku. Did, uh, question, did they, um, I know they were like kind of dancing around, like we have to reach critical mass or whatever. And they were like, we're at 70%. We're not quite there just a little longer. Like they're doing that kind of thing. Did he get to 100%? Like would he have achieved no, more he didn't. victory? He didn't. So he was trying to, he, he was launching, but he was like, I think, I think he said he was like powering down the systems on his Gundam mm-hmm. to like help get it charged faster. But yeah. He never got it there, and it basically fizzled out beforehand, which is why 
um, Mallet was able to survive, but they did take out um, uh, they did take out the flagship, which is kind of like we move into uh, Operation Four. We see him getting loose, getting off the shot, and it looks like he's about to get like blown up himself, but he doesn't. Like they kind of, it seemed like it kind of dropped that whole like part of of uh, Chapter Three. But um, well, you got Lilia on the Xeon side. Uh, trying to shoot him with a bazooka while he's you know about to take the shot right and her ford chops off with his beam saber at the end of of her bazooka and just does he get the arm there's kind of a running gag with her where in every battle she seems to lose part of her uh, rectum <laughs> i can't remember i can't remember very much on that one um but yeah so loose shoots he takes out the flagship but that's pretty much all he takes out i think he takes out some like Zaku's too, but that's pretty much it. Um, but at this point, you know, the stealth, everybody knows that it's, they're the stealth unit. They know their capabilities. They know like what they have. So they're not stealth anymore. Um, Zeon knows they're there and they still outnumber them by a lot. They just have to retreat for, for the time. Um, so, the the thoroughbred heads to the other side of the moon. We get a kind of a little bit of inter- information on von Braun, um, which is quote unquote neutral. I guess kind of like what was it side side four, like side six. But that's side six. because it's it's Anaheim's city more or less. Yeah, yeah. So von Braun is neutral despite having Anaheim there building all these Federation mobile suits. Is um, Anaheim ever really neutral? No. Quote unquote. <laughs> Remember, kids, they're the military industrial complex. Exactly. Not your friend. Um, yeah. So Captain Mullet and his unit are set out to um they they know that they suspect that there's suspicious ships going in and out of Von Braun. Um and of course he runs into our protagonist. They launch the Gundams. And this is kind of where we had talked about before. These Gundams are, these mobile suits are, um, they're used to space. They're, they're high mobility types. So when they get on the moon, even though the moon doesn't have a ton of gravity, it has enough that it just kind of throws Ford and his unit off. So like, they're just not used to piloting in these conditions. Um, so they're a lot more evenly matched than they would have normally been, I think. Um, and one of the things they mentioned that I think we didn't really talk about was the Akzaku was actually developed in response to um, to the original Gundam that's out there. So it was meant to be kind of like a high performance, high mobility um, Zaku, according to Mullet. So, so yeah. it seems like everything was built as a response to the Gundam. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You could describe the Gelgook the exact same way. Yeah. Uh, the Akzaku is just, that was developed on Pezun. And I think it's more of a, I don't know, the way I take the Pezun stuff is it's more of a Cassilia pet project. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is just like Pezun is the last sort of new asteroid base that Xeon uh, gets up and running before mm-hmm. they lose. And, and you know it's just a lot of mobile suit development and you know garen we've talked about how crazy he was about just he's like your gunpla addict but it's not gunpla so i I think partially yes that that's accurate but like luke said it's accurate for almost everything yeah at this point well i mean if you don't know how to deal with like somebody's tactics or abilities you gotta you gotta have a handful of different options i would say well i guess it's it's, it's fair too like the comfort and uh, 0080 that's more of your inner like inside the colony battle crowd suppression right high firepower kind of thing yeah um but one ford is event he's ordered to to go back and help protect his people and this time he actually takes his orders i think this is the first time he's listened to an order um ever so he goes back um, and doesn't keep fighting um, Captain Mullet. Um, so then, you know, that kind of ends that that portion of it. 
So Xeon basically has, has decided they're going to launch the reassembled um, reinforcement fleet from uh, Granada, uh, but they need to essentially they they need to deal with the thoroughbred because that's not something they they know it has that hyper mega particle beam cannon, um, and they need to deal with it. So they've got a plan to draw the the thoroughbred out into uh, and have them essentially um, try to uh, ambush the Xeon fleet uh, from like a debris field. And then the Xeon forces are going to exploit some of the weaknesses that they have assessed for the thoroughbred unit. So they're playing 3D chess here. Um, And much to their credit, the Xeon, the Xeon, strategy works. So um, they launch their fleet and the thoroughbred unit goes into that um, debris field to fight. Um, and Xeon brings in a mobile armor. And I forgot to write the name of it down, but it's it's, it's the same one that um, Shalia Bull pilots, isn't it? it is, it's similar. It's drawn a little bit differently. But uh, it's more or less that. Yeah. So one one thing they did with this one I thought was interesting is, so Shalia Bull is a new type and he's able to control it by himself. And they even mentioned that it has the Saikamu tech in it. But the people that are, they, they have three pilots for this since um, they're not new types. And so when like uh, one of the pilots attacks the, the uh, mobile armor and blows up, something it's they're basically like ha that's that's this like kamu part we don't need that <laughs> oh it, it's the so his wing uh mallet's wing men wing have wing lady as well are the three pilots in the mobile armor and the uh rx-78-4 or the g-04 whatever you want to call it takes out the cockpit it's it does that amaro thing with the beam saber in the cockpit yeah yeah, yeah, and they're like, "Oh, well, we're not in that cockpit." That's the- <laughs> that's for those newfangled new types. But that's that is still though, um, like yeah, Lil- Lily is one of the pi- pilots, and so there's a piece of this one that gets taken out. Yeah, so there's your there's your part of the uh, running gag there, uh, and this is also where you see the a little bit of the G 4 covering for the O five, and. Yeah. So basically what you have is the O5 is there to fire the mega beam launcher and the O4 is there to cover for it. So basically you've got the one with the really big gun um, and then the support unit is one with uh, with other guns. The crazy Gatling gun. Yeah, yeah so, the Gatling gun is a big thing. Yeah, so if you're, if you're expecting something like the Mercurius and V8 from Wing, this is more like the V8, and then for the cover, they have the heavy arms. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Who needs shields? <laughs> um, that's yeah, what, yeah, that's what the gun cannons are for. So, <laughs> Chapter 5 ends with um, Luce pushing his, his uh, unit a little bit too hard, and then into uh, Chapter 6... He basically blows himself up and dies. Um, mullet is injured but not dead, and they make it seem like he lost an eye. Um, oh no, he didn't lose an eye. He he got like his face blown off. Yeah, but he, he keeps his face. He, it's a near miss. I mean, he almost gets taken out by that. He's got some, he's got some burns. Yeah, he's he's messed up. Um, but yeah, so um, at this point. They head to Solomon because the the Battle of Solomon's already concluded. So now it is Compey Island, and um, we kind of see the aftermath of Luce dying. Um, Ford is super emo and like hangs out in his room alone. He kind of pulls the the emo Gundam pilot um, thing. So one thing here that I think is. I've been waiting to bring this up because this is where it's actually important in the story. So one of the design differences on these units, because they're made for space combat and their refinements is that they do not have the core block system. So they don't have a core fighter that's docked to 
you know, a leg unit and the, the top unit. Because if you look at like the damage to the G05 after it, you know, gets caught in that explosion of the uh, beam launcher, you'd think, well, he could just shoot the core fighter at the bottom and fly away. Uh-uh. These don't have those. They're just one unit. Single body units. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So Ford Zemo per, you know, every Gundam pilot. So they, they had to get that trope in there. Um, but Mew makes him happy again by giving him a speech about his responsibilities and all that stuff. So he's like, he recovers pretty quickly. Um, and this is the, the same time that the solar ray uh, destroys the, uh, the, the Zabian rebel fleets. Yeah. Um, and the thoroughbreds apparently like they're close. They can see it. I guess kind of like white base was like they're in visual distance of like the attack, but they're not right there. Miu slaps sense into Ford, by the way. She gives him a speech too. I know, but there's a she's got a solid bright slap. Okay. All right. sure, so yeah. so I mean we're just we're we're hitting tropes here. <laughs> um yeah, so after all of this happens and uh, and the solar ray destroys the fleets, um their unit gets reassigned to escort the uh Xeon representative um to Granada to sign the space treaty or the, the peace treaty. Um, this is still pre Abawaku. So this is, you kind of see, this is where, yeah, this is still pre, I see, I see the look on your face, Scotty. Is it? I mean, I, I believe you. I didn't write it, it down. I'm just, it is because, it, because of what happens at the very end of the manga. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Essentially, in, in Operation 7, the, the, the Federation and the Xeon units are shown to be having to basically work together. Um, they fly together, and there's a lot of like them like knocking into each other because they haven't coordinated on their you know, formations or anything like that. Um, and then we learn that there is a guy named Nord who has a fleet that is at Granada, and they are there to stop the peace negotiations. Um Essentially, what had happened at this point, because they have this huge fleet there, is um, the they were going to attack uh, the the remaining Xeon fleet at Granada and kind of create an opening so that the Xeon representatives could land and begin the peace negotiations. Um, but what happens here is the Xeon troops didn't fall for the faint, and everything's about to like go to hell in a handbasket and we think that oh no these guys are going to get fucked up um and then we hear uh nord the commander of this fleet um request a ceasefire because he has heard that abawaku has fallen That's right um yeah. and dozel and Cassilia are dead and this is when captain mullet gets pissed off and we get to see um his like fucked up eye and i remember yeah. the, i mean it's basically happening at the same time as Abalaku. And yeah. it's, I, I, I think um, the plot to assassinate Giran played with this a little bit because you've got Bakarov. And I remember at one point him, like, they were trying to decide whether they needed to kind of go around Giran to sue for peace. And, right. Um, I, that was kind of coming back to me as I was thinking about it. So, yep. Cool. Um, yeah. So, I wanted to note something and see if you guys noticed it too. So with the end of chapter seven and, and into chapter eight, um, the art seems to take a different style, especially when we're talking about like Captain Mullet. It gets like a lot more detailed, like in the scenes where he's drawn. Like it looks really good. Did you guys notice this at all? I don't remember it getting better. It didn't dawn on me. I read it all at once and yeah. It, it seemed like the art style change somehow here um and i don't know why and it could have just been me like overthinking things um but there were definitely panels where i was like oh man this is like really well drawn yeah, yeah i didn't notice this reading on my tablet but now that i'm on a monitor he's there's definitely more shading being implemented and i think that is the difference there's a lot 
yeah, there, there's a lot more shading on the, uh, in, you know, on the shadows of the characters and, um, you know, like when they're on screens and I think there's a little bit more background detail. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but I, I can kind of see it now on a monitor, but yeah, I don't tablet. I didn't really notice. Yeah. So, uh, chapter eight is essentially, um, we walk into mullet being pissed off and he, he goes up to this mechanic and he finds out that there is a limiter on the Akzaku that remove that that limits the reaction times that the Zaku could take um, because humans just can't handle the full um, you know, capabilities of the Akzaku. So he says, "Mr. Mechanic, remove that fucking limiter." And then he says he has to remove his own limiter. Yeah, he removes his own mental limiter. Uh, he's going to go fight the the, the Gundam. Um, he like some drugs or something. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. he removes that limiter. Yeah, yeah, and they they specifically say, and this is where I came up with it earlier. Is they say the Akzaku was built to be faster and have better better reactions than the Gundam. So again, take it take it as you wish as you will, but they that's what they say here. Um, so yeah, Captain Mullet takes drugs and launches. Um, and they have a really cool long fight scene, and uh, Ford wins. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, we also see like the Nord's fleets basically like, "Hey, we're not doing anything with this guy. Like, this isn't our fault. Uh, can you deal with them?" And everybody's like, "Yeah, it's it's cool. We'll we'll kill him. Don't worry." <laughs> so that that is the end of the manga proper. Um, and then there's a volume three, and I don't know how how much in detail you guys want to get into it, because it really kind of turned me off when I read it. But volume three is um, a what if volume of it basically says uh, what what happens if Luce hadn't blown up, and um, the long and short the short and sweet of it is uh, they went out and instead of having to um, escort the uh, the representative of Xeon, because one of the reasons they had to do that escort of Xeon was because they only had one Gundam, so they weren't like a power unit anymore. Um, once they had, since they had both of their um, Gundams uh, after that battle, they're sent to Abawaku and they fight there and they win. Um, and Ford Ford's mobile suit. The the climax of of chapter three is Ford fighting the, the mobile armor um, and getting wrecked, but surviving. Uh, and we don't really see Captain Mullet because his his fleet had died. Is that a fair summary of of our what if volume? Yeah, there's a Johnny Ridden cameo for like one page. Okay, so I figure we'd run into at least one of those Xeon Aces that got lots of model kits that was never in any shows at some point, and uh, yeah, you get get like one one or two panels of him. He's like, "Yeah, I'm the Crimson Lightning," and then he's gone. Yeah, I think there, there's always a lot of speculation. I think there's like three things that people always think are going to like on the verge of getting animated. Um, number one is Crossbone Gundam. Number two is anything Johnny Ridden. And then right now, number the, the big number three is Moon Gundam. Yeah. Well, Moon Gundam reads like a storyboard for a show. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think Crossbone is just people think the suit looks cool. And it does. Oh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that's all we have for this episode. I mean, or, well, actually, let's get your thoughts. Uh, Scotty, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on this overall? Oh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I enjoy it more as uh, when I kind of just stumbled on how this has connections in Legacy. Like, Legacy jumps around. It's a bit like Gundam Evolve in that regard. But ultimately it kind of settles into being a sequel to this. And I think when you take all of that together and uh, I think if, especially if you 
kind of played all the games and uh, that includes things like, you know, Blue Destiny, or if you are at least familiar with that, uh, with that story, because there is a manga version as well. And uh, I really like how with all of these stories, not just Thoroughbred, but uh, Lost War Chronicles, Hard Graph, um, and then later on in Legacy, he's sort of dancing in the rain and playing in the puddles of the rest of the Gundam universe and you know in the one year war era and then later you know the post 0083 going into Zeta era and it's kind of fun to see um, how you know eventually in Legacy everything starts to get pulled together more and you see a little bit of that in Thoroughbred with the connections to Lost War Chronicles and um, you know the rest of the one year war it's it there's a like a danger zone that a lot of these side stories can get into uh, where they start to just contradict stuff. I forget which one it is, but there is a side story that was so contradictory. What it was retconned into being is in universe fiction. Like it was, it was uh, about some Zeon ace that it, it's like a, almost like it was retconned as a fictional propaganda story. Like it's in universe fiction because it was so contradictory. And I, uh, so you can't do that. Right. And you can't have it be too important uh, either you can't have them go and run into the white base crew and impact that very much because we know that story and you know they don't want to change it but um, I, I think this is one of the more fun ways uh, in which things kind of you know play around and give some i guess depth and good depth interesting depth to the one-year war um there is there are other bits of depth that you can get like uh, igloo which to me is not interesting depth incredibly boring depth um some people like it it's fine you can like it but uh yeah this just it adds a lot of characters and um, this is something i wouldn't mind seeing i I know they recollected in 2015 uh all of his stories together but they legacy is not included with that and putting it all kind of together maybe in like a remaster with some extra chapters here and there, or, um, yeah, this, this would also make a pretty cool OVA series yeah. the for, the, for the medium, right? Like some of this stuff is manga and it wouldn't really work. Um, you'd have to do some changes to the pacing. Um, I could, I could see them making it into like an evolved short. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, I, I really have enjoyed, uh, kind of going down this little trail and it's, it's removed from the here's Shin Matsunaga and Johnny Ridden blowing stuff up stories. Mm-hmm. And it's not uh, a plot to assassinate Giren, which wanted to be a movie. Um, it, yeah, I, I've, I have enjoyed them quite a lot. Luke. Yeah. I've been having, I've been, I think they've been kind of hit or miss um, all over the place. I really enjoyed this one. I did not enjoy Igloo. Just talking about side stories. Um, just mirroring what Scotty said, but uh, most of them I liked. Gear and this plot of assassination, assassinate gear, and I really enjoyed. Um, this one I enjoyed a lot. Um, the last couple that we read, I didn't enjoy a ton. I don't know. They've been all over the place for me. I think I enjoyed just seeing how, like, just kind of seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes with this stuff. Because when I first got into this, um, I couldn't even fathom how much depth there was to it, and I, and I think. Sometimes it's done really well, sometimes it's not, but I love just that there's random characters you see in the background once they get a whole side manga that I've never heard of until we started doing this. Yeah. Uh, that happens a lot. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, some of these side story manga for me were good and some of them were, were a slog, um, but I, I did like the world building and, and things like that. And there, there's like a few manga that are ongoing right now um that i would love to read once like more contents out but you know we're at the mercy of the translators because these things aren't getting brought to the the states um and probably never will so um let that that be as it is yeah well you know that's in one way it almost makes them a little more accessible these days (laughs) but um because they're not going to get pulled down but um the other thing that came to mind with some of these is that they are part of promotional engines. 
you know, the several of the ones we just read were promotional engines for video games. Yeah. Or, uh, in the case of Thoroughbred, not only video games, but uh, they made master grades of the unit four and five. Yeah. Right. And so all of that, all of that kind of plays together. And, and a lot of them are in Gundam Ace and then collected. And that's a monthly thing that they've got to ha keep having content for. So while I, you know, you don't always, I always think of like Cantina aliens and star Wars. I don't need a like TV episode about every one of them. In fact, some of them don't work as anything, but the one-off background yeah. thing, but there's also not a, well, I guess there's star Wars comics, but there's not monthly star Wars comic magazine that they need right. for. Hey, I, I, I would pay for Gundam Ace to be translated and brought over here on a regular basis. Yeah. I think they are just, yeah, they got gun shy when they brought over Mobile Suit Gundam and it bombed in 2000. It made them very gun shy uh, to look at, okay, we had a modicum of success, unleash the floodgates that didn't work once. And I think that's why 20 years on, we see a kind of a regular flow of content over here that's still ultimately kind of tepid. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for uh, today's episode. We're going to uh, kind of do a one-year war retrospective um, and a uh, a Gundam World News update uh, with our next episode. So look forward to that. And until then, uh, we will uh, check you out. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, on Reddit. Um, we're at a uh, new type flash pod and then all of our Twitter handles are in the bio there. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out to us and, and tell us if, if there's anything you want us to cover, because I know we haven't covered a lot of stuff that's out there. There's a lot of one year war stuff that um, is translated. We didn't cover because honestly, like we just tried to hit the stuff we thought we'd be mostly interested in. We could be here another five years. Under yeah. We tried to keep the one year war to more or less one year. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks, and we will check you next time. Thanks. Later.